Hey friends, welcome back to the journal feed. My name is Nick Zelt, and this is the only place to get spoon-fed the latest and greatest of emergency medicine. So let's see what we're gonna be covering this week. LPs for infants, should they sit up or lie down? And then time to meet your maker. Here's a trial on face-to-face -face intubation. After that, what a pretty dress you have all over your entire body. Oh my God. How do you diagnose and manage dress? Then seven ways to reduce an elbow. And finally, six ways to reduce a hip. If you are hearing my voice right now, then you are not currently a Journal Feed subscriber and so will not be receiving the full Journal Feed podcast, only receiving a portion of the past week's summaries. Don't worry though, I pick my favorites, but if you would like to get full access to both the podcast and the blog, then you'll have to become a member. All the details for that are at journalfeed.org. Don't worry, if money is a problem though, we'd never want that to actually be a barrier. So if you're having trouble affording a subscription, please just get in touch and we'll help you out. Now this is the audio version of the past week summaries, which this week were brought to you by the lovely Nicholas Sreika, John Kordaki, Jason Martinez, and Clay Smith. Okay, cool. Let's jump over to the second article. Titled, Comparison of Supine and Upright Face-to-Face -face Cadaver Intubation, out of the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. Now, I've never even considered face-to-face -face intubations as an option. Standing in front of the patient, wow, that's actually weird, like what a concept. Though, we've recently covered that articles, there. I mean, we covered two articles that were a bit down on ramped intubation. It's still been fairly popular though, and lung mechanics, I, I mean, I have to admit, they just kind of make sense. They favor being upright. So if you want your patient to be sitting upright, you could even keep them upright the whole time. You could do this two ways. You could either descend like Spider-Man from the ceiling, or I guess you could just stand directly in front of the patient that's sitting up and then intubate them that way. When I read the title of this article, I was eager to see how this turned out. This was a comparison study from Australia where a single senior emergency physician intubated 25 cadavers in both the supine and upright face-to-face -face positions using a bougie and recording all of it with a CMAC video laryngoscope. All of the footage from this setup was reviewed by five emergency physicians who were blinded to the position of the cadaver. The primary outcome was time to intubation, which was longer in the upright group, which was statistically significant. But to be frank, it's unlikely that one second is going to be clinically significant. Now, the laryngoscope grade and the percentage of glottic opening that were visible were also not statistically different between the groups. I actually think this is pretty cool, but I, I would have to consider it far-fetched for anyone to adopt as like regular practice without a really ironclad study. The fact that all of these intubations were done by a single person at really heavily affects generalizability. And I just don't see when this would be critically necessary to do. You're always welcome to pre-oxygenate sitting up. And then once you've sedated and paralyzed, you could always just lie them down and do a supine intubation. I think I'd rather use that one second I save by doing it supine and just spend it laying them down instead of doing this face to face. Not to mention that an upright, sedated, paralyzed patient is going to be flopping all over the place. You're going to have to have one or two extra sets of hands just to hold them there. But I do like knowing that this was possible. And I'm curious about how upright positioning affects secretions or even blood, which could have been affecting your view in the supine position. That's the only real reason that I could imagine using this. 
in a spoonful. This technique certainly requires further investigation, but in this very limited study, face-to-face intubation was pretty much as good as supine intubation with regards to timed intubation and the airway views. Next, we move on to the third article titled Drug Reaction with Eosinophilia and Systemic Symptoms, an Emergency Medicine-Focused Review out of the American Journal of Emergency Medicine. DRESS, like I said in the title article, this stands for Drug Reaction with Eosinophilia and Systemic Symptoms. So it's a severe drug reaction that carries a 10% mortality rate and may present in a huge variety of ways. So let's help you spot it in the future. The pathophysiology of this reaction isn't known, but theories include enzyme deficiencies, genetic predispositions, hypersensitivity reactions, and viral activations. What it looks like is a diffuse, exanthematous, macular papular rash that typically begins in the trunk. Nearly 80% of patients will have more than half of their body surface involved, and this will usually be accompanied by a fever. Other common symptoms include facial edema and lymphedema. You should check the mucosa, but it's not always going to be affected. Rare but possible features which can be severe include pulmonary involvement, even to the point of ARDS and cardiac involvement. Where this rash gets kind of tricky is that it's going to seem to come out of nowhere. The drug exposure can be anywhere from 1 to 12 weeks back, which means you're going to have to dig deep on this exposure history. The most common culprit is vancomycin, but that could just be because we use vancomycin quite a bit. Other common medications could include anti-tuberculosis meds, anti-epileptics, mixilatine, minocycline, and nevirapine. There are many others, of course, but they're considered lower risk. You're just going to want to run the patient's entire medication list and cross-reference all of them. So far, I've only spoken about the history and physical exams, but what about the eosinophilia? It's in the name. Sadly, this isn't even going to be present in all patients. You can see leukocytosis and thrombocytosis pretty commonly as well, which makes sense given how inflamed these patients are going to be. Otherwise, you should look out for derangements in LFTs, which can help steer you towards dress and away from other drug eruptions. Regi-SCAR is actually a clinical decision tool, which, if you're into those, could be pretty sensitive and helpful to making this diagnosis. More likely to be helpful, though, is your local dermatologist, who probably deserves a call. Treatment is largely supportive. Remove whatever you think they're reacting to and give them some steroids. As little drugs as possible is best because they're having a drug reaction already and they just don't need more necessarily. So antibiotics only if they absolutely need them. Start your steroids at prednisone 1 milligram per kg per day and this is going to be on a 3-6 to six month taper. They're going to be taking these for quite a while. And if that's not helping, then they may need IVIG, plasmapheresis, or other immunosuppressants. In a spoonful, now you're all dressed up and ready to see your next dress patient. Okay, guys, let's do the wrap-up. What did we learn today? From the second article, I like options. I want as many things under my tool belt as possible if things ever go wrong. So I'm happy to know that face-to-face intubation is at least possible. I could do this, you know, maybe in an elevator or an air duct or underneath a car. I have no idea. I don't think that I would do this in my recess bay, but this one specific Australian physician showed that he was pretty good at it. From the third article, a review of dress. Dig deep on that drug history and start those people on steroids. Links to all the articles summarized can be found at journalfeed.org. The newsletter, again, I tell you this every week, is the best way to make the podcast into a bite-sized nugget of space repetition. 
And if you're feeling some FOMO, you feel like, hey, I only heard two articles. Wouldn't it be better if I heard five articles? Then come over and join us in the members feed. Our goal here is to provide better patient care through spoon feeding. And that's why we're trying to help you keep up with the latest research, one spoonful at a time. Thank you.